0: Hey everyone, it's Anita and Lucas. Welcome to Chain Reaction, where we unpack and explain the latest in crypto news, drama, and trends, breaking things down block by block for the crypto curious.
1: So on today's lovely episode, we're talking to Kevin Iwaki, who is the founder of Gitcoin, which is a venture-backed organization devoted to funding developers and projects in the crypto open source community. Kevin's a type of guy who spends a lot of his time working on some pretty weighty existential goals surrounding crypto, and he's the type of person probably that a lot of people in the crypto community would say, represents what crypto is all about. So he's thinking about governance, individualism, collectivism in the crypto world, which are a bunch of weighty topics. And we wanted to pick his brain on some of these.
0: Yeah. So in the uh, short span of like less than 30 minutes, we talked about some pretty big topics, including like public goods on the Internet, how Web3 technology could be used to create systemic change and some other really big and like idealistic topics. But either way, Kevin is a guy who talks the talk and also is trying to walk the walk. So we'll let him speak for himself.
1: Kevin, well, it's great to have you on here. Have really been looking forward to having you on the show.
2: Yeah, thanks. Really glad to be here. I've been reading TechCrunch, I think, for the last 10 or 15 years. I've been working in tech, so it's a lot of fun. Hey, well, happy to hear it.
1: You know, it's interesting to have you on right now. You know, I know you're a big advocate within the Ethereum community. This is obviously a very big time for the community around Ethereum in general. I guess, like, how are things feeling post merge? How are you feeling about the ecosystem in general?
2: Well, I think that the Ethereum merge just happened, which is the move from proof of work to proof of stake as a consensus mechanism for the Ethereum network and really excited to see that it's improved security and decentralization while reducing the carbon footprint of Ethereum by 99.98% so you know as someone who's uh really cares about esg and is also in web 3 i think that we want to build a world where crypto is good for the world and in order for it to be good for the world it has to stop being bad for the world and making it more climate neutral is obviously a huge thing and it just shows that decentralized coordination at scale is possible i mean a community of hundreds of people worked on changing from proof of work to proof of stake actually thousands and it's just really exciting to see that a distributed network of people can upgrade its main engine and make it better for the world. So I think the future is bright for Ethereum and I'm excited for it.
1: Yeah, I mean just generally like the ethos of the merge in general seems to align with kind of what you're, some of the stuff you're working on personally. If you tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, so I'm mostly known as the founder of Gitcoin, which is a place that you can get coins if you're an open source software developer. We have delivered $70 million worth of funding for open source software, climate, tech, longevity, diversity, equity and inclusion and And Gitcoin Grants is our flagship product, and that's delivered $70 million worth of funding to Web3 and Web3 adjacent projects that are working on these social good problems. And more recently, I'm the author of a book called Green Pilled, How Crypto Can Regenerate the World, which is all about the theory and the practice of using crypto to do social good. And you'll notice that the subtitle of the book is How Crypto Can Regenerate the World. And I hope to write the book in five years, How Crypto Is Regenerating the World. But in order to do that, I think we're going to need more decentralized coordination over the next five years.
0: Awesome, yeah, and I guess just for... you know, those who aren't as familiar with Gitcoin. Can you talk a little bit about what public goods are just in the context of Web3? Because I know that's a big thing that Gitcoin supports.
2: Yeah, totally. Well, you know, I'm a software engineer and I started Gitcoin with the mission of growing and sustaining open source software. So open source software is like I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. Every time I want to build a new web product, I install a web server that's open source. I install a database server that's open source. I use Linux, which is open source. And one of the really crazy things is that 400 billion billion. billion dollars per year, there's a study in twenty fourteen that said that four hundred billion dollars per year in economic value is created by open source software. But because the code is available for free online, there's no way to monetize it if you're an open source software maintainer. I mean, absent speaking at conferences or like tiny sponsorships here and there. And so we started Gitcoin to correct that asymmetry. And I later learned by hanging out with other Web3 people who are minded around public goods that open source software is a public good. So that's just a good that is non-excludable and non-rivalrous, as opposed to something that you can get on Amazon, like a CD where, you know, Anita, if you get a CD, then that's one less unit of volume that I can get. Open source software, my downloading it doesn't prevent you or any of your listeners from downloading it. And that's a non-excludable, non-rivalrous good. And some of the greatest stuff in the world is a public good. Open source software is a public good. Clean and breathable air is a public good. Transportation networks are a public good. Uh, our right to privacy, journalism, when it creates an informed citizenry, is a public good. And so I think it's really important to try to find business models so that people can work on public goods. And you know, the dream of what Gitcoin wants to do is make it so that software developers everywhere could quit their corporate jobs and work on open source software software. and get paid just for working on open source software that's the world we want to create is that you get rewarded for working on public goods
0: got it yeah and i want to ask you a little bit about where the esg piece comes in as well i mean one thing i've been thinking about is just sort of like in this vision of using web3 to create a better world so to speak like do we really need blockchain technology in order to do that and is the technology enough or do we need like other forms of advocacy if we want to see some of these big changes
2: uh the technology is not enough the technology is just a tool and you know i know i'm appearing on your podcast as the Web3 guy, but I just want to say social movements and the people that are working to create change every day are the necessary and sufficient part of this movement that we need to build. And, you know, I think like any tool, it's only as good as what problems you apply it to. I'm really excited about solving two categories of problems with blockchain. The first is global coordination failures. So, open source software is a global public good. There's no national government that is chartered with solving open source software because it is a global, distributed, decentralized public good. And so, that's why I think a global coordination ecosystem like Ethereum, you know, we have a global, programmable, transparent, immutable ledger that we can program our values into our money. Why not build monetary systems that can support global public goods? Is kind of the first category that I'm excited about. And then the second. Second category, I think, is very hyper-local public goods. You know, we've seen software as a service kind of run its course with this $9.99 a month type of business model where you top-down impose your software on, on different communities. But you're really missing a lot of the bottoms-up coordination that can come from open-source software, the forkability, the modularity that comes with open-source software. And so, you know, I'd like to see more local communities using open-source software that was pioneered in the blockchain community to coordinate around their local public goods. in their local community coordination. And, you know, we've got an example of that that we deployed at Gitcoin called Downtown Stimulus in Boulder, Colorado, where I live. The downtown businesses had just seen a 99% drop in foot traffic because of the COVID pandemic in May of 2020. And we actually deployed an instance of Gitcoin grants to downtown Boulder and were able to raise 50K for a yoga studio, a comic book shop, a coffee shop. And the technology that we pioneered solving global public goods, we could just reposition as a local public good fund So to answer your question, no blockchains as a tool are not sufficient. We need people engaged in this movement and tools are only good for the jobs that they're good at. And I think that blockchain is going to be very good at both global public goods and then also local public goods. And those are the categories I'm excited about.
1: You know, I mean, at TechCrunch, you're a reader, but we cover a lot of things in the venture capital ecosystem. Gitcoin has raised venture capital funding. I guess when you talk about some of these kind of public goals, Is there any desire on your part that you know all this institutional money that exists in crypto right now to fund ideas uh would go towards more public goods because right now it seems to be kind of going to things that are good for the ecosystem perhaps but also may not fit that exact definition of public goods in your mind.
2: Well, you know, I think that, you know, we want to create a world in which we're rotating capital and talent into things that are good for the world. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity using markets and using private capital to revitalize the public good. And, you know, the ultimate combination of a configuration of things, I think, would be using the collective intelligence of markets and decentralized coordination with some of the public funding that typically comes in and gets administered through a government or an NGO that takes 45% yeah. off of the top of it because it has such high administrative overhead? What if we can use decentralized coordination to distribute that money in a way that's higher resolution, more legitimate, and less overhead? So I think there's a lot of upside there, but we're in the first inning of using Web3 for good, and I think it's going to evolve from here.
1: Obviously, the crypto community has gotten so much larger over the past couple of years. You know, We'll see how many people are sticking around over the next few months and Such, But like, you know, when you think about a lot of the people that have been onboarded, I think fair to say that plenty of people have been onboarded because of, you know, speculative interest around tokens and stuff like that. They might not necessarily be like willing to commit full time to like, you know, some of the ideas you're talking about right now. So I guess like how do you keep what Gitcoin's mission is? as like a mainstream part of the ethos of someone who's in the crypto community.
2: Well, I am way far down the rabbit hole (laughs) of this weird, wonderful world of Web3.
1: Sure, like, you know, I listen to your podcast a couple of times and you've got folks like Vitalik, folks like SBF on there. They're obviously like whales in their own right, but also like, pretty staunch idealists in some ways. So it's kind of like, you know, maybe the people at the top are kind of like saying this is a great idea or people who have like really belonged to the crypto community for a while. But it kind of seems like it'd be something difficult to convince a newbie who's just like, how do I turn $200 of ETH into, you know, a nest egg or something like that?
2: totally well you know the double-edged sword of this space is that we've now got programmable money and we can program our values into our money and there's going to be guys like me who are trying to solve global coordination failures with that and then there's people who are going to build just bigger decentralized casinos or ponzi schemes and that's what you accept when you have credibly neutral money that you can program your values it's kind of like when the internet came out i'm 38 and anyone who's around for the genesis of the internet may remember that there was a meme that like avenue q wrote a song like the internet is for porn and it kind of reminds me it kind of reminds me a little bit of that where like anyone can deploy a website you're going to get porn sites and you're also going to get the next Google and the next Facebook and stuff like that and so I'm trying to route talent and capital towards the things that I think will regenerate the world and will have staying power but I'm only one person and it's really going to take a chorus for people to be able to look beyond the headlines look past the speculative money games look past the volatility and see that there are communities that are forming around values within the Web3 space and a lot of people aren't going to see that a lot of people are going to be too busy with their day jobs or their local communities and that's fine but over a decades long time frame I would like to just kind of beat that drum as much as I can and hopefully that becomes a chorus and then hopefully it becomes a symphony over the next 10 years and I don't have it totally figured out but I hope that we figure it out over the next 10 years.
0: Kevin you talked uh, about the collective intelligence of markets. I thought that was really interesting phrasing. And I guess like this is sort of in the same vein as a question, you know, Lucas asked you, but I wonder sometimes like how do you know that we aren't just sort of rebuilding the traditional financial system with all of the same inequities? In Web3. I mean, when you look at like what decisions are being made collectively, is there like some sort of reason that yeah. wouldn't just be reflected in the new technology?
2: Yeah, so I mean plutocracy is a big problem. Plutocracy is control by and of and for the rich. It's kind of like the one percent problem, the Occupy Wall Street problem. And there's this fundamental problem in market based systems called the Matthew effect, which is the accumulated advantage that comes from cumulative gains. This is like colloquially known as the rich get richer, but it also applies to matters of fame and status. Like, you know, Paris Hilton's getting more famous this day over day than I am. And so basically, this is a fundamental problem with markets. And I think that the huge opportunity in Web3, which is not realized, by the way, is that we can program our values into our money. So what if we could move from one token one vote systems, one dollar one vote systems to one human one vote systems? And this is something that I think that people are really excited about within the Web3 space. If we can issue decentralized, sovereign digital identities that create more one human one vote systems, or maybe a a mix between one token and one vote, we're able to solve some of those problems. And uh, Gitcoin's actually at the nexus of this. I could explain how, but it would take another, another 60 seconds. Let me know if you want me to take you down that rabbit hole.
1: Are you about to talk quadratic voting? Is that your- Oh, we're going there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're getting
2: quadratic. Okay, uh, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> we can go there. So basically, Gitcoin Grants is Gitcoin's flagship product. We have delivered $70 million worth of funding for open source and other public goods. And the way Gitcoin Grants works is that we use something called quadratic funding, which sounds scary, but it's actually pretty simple. We run a crowdfunding campaign, and basically the way it works is that if two projects raise the same amount of money, but the second project has a way broader base of support, then that Second project will get way more of the matching funds. So basically, $3 million matching fund every quarter on Gitcoin grants. And Anita, if you raise $10 from 10 contributors and I raise $10 from one contributor, you will get 90% of the matching pool because we're optimizing for the preferences of the poor and the many, what has the broader base of support over just doing one to one matching, which would be inherently plutocratic. And so, what we've done here is really created a, a reason why people want to contribute to public goods. My one dollar worth of impact can have hundreds of dollars or even thousands of dollars worth of impact depending on how broadly popular a grant is. So that's an incentive to get off my bum and to give a dollar to my favorite open source project. And systemically, we're optimizing for the preferences of the poor and the many, the median people in the industry instead of the most capital rich people in in the ecosystem. And so this is the reason why I think Gitcoin Grants has kind of been a big hit is because of quadratic funding and this ability for everyday citizens to actually have an incentive to engage in funding their favorite public goods. And at the end of every round, we've got 700,000 data points about which open source software projects, which climate projects, which DEI projects communities actually care about. And that's a really exciting data set to go back to the Ethereum community or to go back to a government that's funding climate or DEI and say, hey, look, like everyday people are giving their money to this. There's probably some heat there. And so that's the collective intelligence sort of angle on Gitcoin grants is measuring what everyday citizens care about and then routing funding to those as opposed to, some central grant administrator with a staff of 20 taking up 20% of the amount that you've raised. You're distributing the collective intelligence problem to the edge of the network, and that's kind of Gitcoin grants, and I think how it feeds into your larger question, which is how do we move from more plutocratic systems to more democratic systems?
1: One thing that's interesting about this, and we chatted about this a little bit before, was you know the idea that you have to have proof of personhood, basically, in order to make these things work, mm. because so many of the issues with a lot of these platforms, you know, maybe they have 30 different wallets connected to a platform, and they're kind of token mining or something like that, token farming, but they all Still belong to them. So I know that you've kind of worked with this. I guess, you know, some of our listeners may have read some of our coverage on WorldCoin or something like that. There was obviously a pretty spirited backlash to that. They were trying to basically use this orb that took photos of people's irises and classified them as a unique person on the blockchain. It kind of seems like that's been, uh, they've had some issues and are kind of, you know, slowing down in some ways with that. So I guess, like, when you look at something like that not doing well, how much faith do you have in one of these, like, systems? catching on globally and like being one system that works for everybody?
2: Yeah, really great question. Yeah, I mean, some of this stuff is kind of scary, you know, when it comes to capturing someone's iris in a private database, you kind of have to ask yourself, is this real life or is this a Black Mirror episode? (laughs) And, you know, I'm of the mind that digital identity in Web3 has got to have a couple different properties. And this is, by the way, something that I spend a lot of time thinking about because Gitcoin grants, Gitcoin is dependent on Gitcoin grants, which is dependent on quadratic funding, which is dependent on civil resistance and digital identity. And so like, Gitcoin's kind of like a castle in the sky until civil resistance is solved. And so I think that civil resistance, we need to build decentralized identity systems that are privacy and sovereignty preserving, that avoid plutocracy, avoid collusion, that are systemically defensible, that are modular and forkable, that are decentralized and embrace the evolutionary nature of the game between attackers and defenders. I know I just said a lot of words that sound highly technical (laughs) right there, but I guess it would suffice to say that Gitcoin's taking this problem extremely seriously. And I think that we don't wanna use state-based IDs. We don't wanna use Google Auth or Facebook because of the privacy and sovereignty preserving aspect of this system. And so there is kind of a race right now to solve the civil resistance problem. And whoever solves it is gonna take the whole ecosystem from one token, one vote, to one human, one vote. And then we're gonna move away from these speculative money games into things that are object level, good for everyday citizens in humanity. And I think the upside of that is really, really very high because then we can deploy these blockchain based systems that actually help everyday people, not just the people who have money out there. So, yeah, I mean, that's a deep rabbit hole, but I think there's people who are doing good jobs and are taking it seriously. And and hopefully the problem will be solved in the next five or 10 years.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the stuff that you brought up sounds like a lot of different issues that a lot of different like unicorn valued startups could be working on. But like, you know, how do you decide where to focus? Gitcoin's efforts, your efforts, you know, how do you decide where to like, I'm not the Gitcoin founder on this. I'm just Kevin Iwaki. How do you do that? Sure.
2: Well, I've been doing this for five years. And so Gitcoin founder and Kevin Iwaki have kind of like merged <laughs> that's my that's brain same, yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. But one interesting thread to pull that, that may actually be interesting to your audience is that I've actually disaffiliated from Gitcoin DAO's leadership recently. And that's because we are dedicated to decentralizing Gitcoin's leadership and making it into what's called trustware, a series of smart contracts set of socialware, which is relying on social relations between its members in order to deploy Gitcoin systems. And so this is a big difference between a Web2 style unit Will you try to build a billion dollar company, you sit atop this little fiefdom and then you exit it to Google or to Facebook eventually one day. Gitcoin is actually decentralizing into a community that is governed by the users that it serves. So there's this idea in political philosophy that the consent of the governed is the only legitimate basis for governance. You know, this is a political philosophy idea and it's as opposed to like the divine right, right. of kings. And one of the things that we felt is that if Gitcoin is going to be funding digital public goods, it shouldn't be Kevin Iwaki the CEO of Gitcoin, that's building this system, we should build a loop where the users of the system hold the governance token, they govern the system, which serves the users, and that's a closed loop. And you know, this is opposed to the divine right of kings or like the fact that in Facebook we're all just kind of like surfs on Facebook's kingdom and we don't have any property rights <laughs> or anything like that. And it's kind of a radical idea. But you know, to answer your question, I've disaffiliated from Gitcoin DAO leadership. Gitcoin DAO is developing grants 2 which is a series of smart contracts, and they want to be a channel for greater combinations of strength and intelligence to come together and to solve these collective organizing problems by, of, and for the people. So I think that you asked me like, what's next? What's on the roadmap? And the thing is that like the DAO is actually in charge of it. And I'm just like the guy who brought it from zero to one. And it's it's a much radically different path for a startup than the web two path of just kind of like selling to Google. Mm
0: I have one sort of specific question about an area that you're doing some work in which is related to like climate finance and I've been reading a lot about like you know tokenized carbon credits and that seems to be like sort of the web three response to like how can we use crypto to solve climate problems and it's just one example but what I think of a lot is like, it's a good idea in theory, but the underlying market has a lot of flaws. And as that ecosystem has developed, it hasn't necessarily led to like more transparency in terms of what's actually backing the tokens. So I guess sort of using that example, like, do you think that there's any possibility for crypto to be a solution for climate problems? And like, how can we ensure that it evolves in a way that's actually pushing for transparency? Like, I guess, just because you have more democratic processes on the surface doesn't necessarily solve some of the underlying problems, right?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I do think that first off, this is something that keeps me up at night as a father and as a citizen of the world, I want to live in a world in which we don't have a climate catastrophe. And I want my kids to live in that world. I want my grandkids to live in that world. And so This is one of the things, the collective organizing things that really keeps me up at night. There are specific tents, like actually answering your question, they're on the order of 30 to 50 Gitcoin grants in the climate round. And I think there was on the order of 100 to $200,000 worth of matching going to those projects in grants round 15, which is the most recent grants round. I'm not familiar with each of them specifically. I know that some are carbon credits. Some of them are doing things like trying to inspire people that we could solve climate change and creating art around that. So they're not all carbon credits. The ones that are carbon credits, I think I I've been really excited about. And then I've talked to people who are like PhD level data scientists who are like, yeah, this isn't gonna work and they're gonna need to iterate in X and Y X and Y way. And so I think you're going to see this Cambrian explosion of experimentation with carbon credits and with carbon collective organizing on the blockchain. And I don't think, as far as I know, no one has really solved it yet, to your point. So again, I would say that we're in the first inning, and I hope to see the ecosystem evolve towards something that's more legitimate. And the reason why I have a lot of hope for blockchain here is that we've got transparency and global markets for climate projects available just as fundamental natures of blockchain based systems. And so I have a lot of like a priori theoretical hope that they're going to be able to solve this problem. But to your point, empirically, some of the projects that are out there have a long ways to go.
1: I guess just kind of wrapping things up a little bit, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the bear market, a lot of talk about, you know, what kind of public infrastructure investment happens during a bull market versus a bear market so i guess like how do you feel about that when there's when there's less money to be made do you think that the people who stick around kind of think a little bit more about how they can make this a more sustainable ecosystem and what does that tell you about what the next couple of years look like if we're in a sustained winter
2: yeah well you know i survived <laughs> you've been through a I couple. Survived yeah. the bear market of 2019 to <laughs> 2020 and um You know, I I think that Gitcoin Gitcoin has always been focused on kind of being a pilot light for the ecosystem in a bear market. So basically, Gitcoin Grants has consistently run between a million dollar and a $3 quadratic funding round both through the bull market and through the bear market. And the idea is is that if you're looking for capital and VCs aren't writing checks, you can go to Gitcoin Grants and you can convince the community around you that what you're doing is important, then you're going to get funding as opposed to convincing some central grant administrator or some power broker VC out of Silicon Valley. And I think that's a fundamentally powerful proposition is that if you have the legitimacy of the respect of your peers, then you're going to be funded on Gitcoin Grants. And so we're going to whipsaw between fear and greed. That's what markets do. We're going to whipsaw between <laughs> bull and bear, and it's going to be jolting, and it's going to over be overly greedy in times of greed, and we're going to be overly fearful in times of fear. But Bitcoin grants wants to be a sort of tempo where if you're working on public goods and collective intelligence, then you are going to hopefully do okay. At least be able to pay your rent until the market turns around. And so I don't know whether the bear period will be another day, another week, another month, or another year. Maybe it'll be another decade. But I do know that the tools that are being built in this ecosystem are powerful. I think that what is going to be a big part of the next cycle is gonna be centered around digital identity. And you can kind of make that argument a priori. You can make that argument through theoretical deduction. Identity is a huge part of our financial markets just in general. When I get an Uber driver, I want to make sure that they're not a creep, that they're going to get me from A to B quickly and safely. That's an identity problem. And right now, the reason why you've seen these decentralized casinos is because there's no way to identify your counterparty in the Ethereum and the Web3 network. So like, imagine a, a system in which I can easily deploy civil resistance with Gitcoin Passport, or I can look at someone's credit score, and so we can do an under-collateral lending type of system where you can borrow money from blockchain based systems. And so I think digital identity is going to open up a plethora of new use cases that hopefully makes this less of a money game for the rich and opens it up for everyday citizens of the world. And that's what I'm betting on in the next cycle. That's where I'm spending my scarce cycles. But if I had a crystal ball, then I think it would be quite different. That's just kind of my limited view as one participant of the ecosystem.
1: Hey, well, appreciate you digging into a lot of big topics on this. I think it was fun for our listeners. But yeah, appreciate you coming on the podcast
2: so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I wrote a book called Green Pill, How Crypto Could Regenerate the World, which you can get at greenpill.party. And if you just Google Gitcoin, I think we've reached the point in which Gitcoin does not autocorrect to Bitcoin on Google. So you'll find <laughs> it that way.
1: <laughs> Love it. Thanks, Kevin.
0: Thanks so much, Kevin.
1: Cheers. We'll be back every week with interviews with the experts in the Web3 space. Catch Anita, Jackie, and myself every Thursday for the latest in crypto news. You can keep up with us on Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite pod platform. And subscribe to our companion newsletter, also called Chain Reaction. Links to the newsletter and more from our guests can be found in our show notes. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Chain underscore Reaction. Chain Reaction is hosted by myself, Lucas Matney, along with my co-host, Anita Ramswamy. We are produced by Yashad Kolkarni and our associate producer is Maggie Stamets with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator, Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening.